Welcome to the Southcrest Live podcast. If this is your first time to listen, please connect with us at www.southcrest.org for more information. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. The music today has gone perfectly with what we're looking at in Isaiah chapter 9. So open your Bibles there, keep them open for a few moments, and we'll look at God's Word as we talk about hope. When Isaiah wrote this, prophesied this, there were some dark, dark days. Israel had already fallen to Assyria, and Judah was being threatened, and they were afraid for their lives. And in the midst of all of that darkness, you see a ray of hope 700 years before Jesus was born. Verse 1 says, Nevertheless, the gloom will not be upon her who is distressed, as when at first he lightly esteemed the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, and afterward more heavily oppressed her by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan in Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light, Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. You have multiplied the nation and increased its joy. They rejoice before you according to the joy of the Lord. As men rejoice when they divide the spoil, for you have broken the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of the oppressor, as in the day of Midian. For every warrior's sandal from the noisy battle and garments rolled in blood will be used for burning and fuel of fire. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. You have heard Isaiah 9, 6. If you've been in church at all at Christmas time, that verse has been read about the names of the coming Messiah. I read of a pastor, a young pastor. He and his wife were expecting their first child, and the grandparents could not be there. And so when their son was born, he thought of a creative way to let them know that the baby was here and it was a little boy. So he texted his dad, Isaiah 9, 6. Meaning, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Well, his father was not a Bible scholar, and he didn't get it. And his wife asked him, what's the text about? And he he said, well, it seems John's wife had a boy weighing nine pounds, six ounces, and why in the world did they name him Isaiah? (laughs) Isaiah, like I mentioned, lived in a very dark time. 
we're living in some dark times. Depending on how you're looking at it, uh, first of all, this time of year puts a lot of people in darkness anyway because they're reminded of some of the problems they're facing. Either they're by themselves or their family's not together or uh, the fact that we have less daylight now than normal uh, or than the rest of the year. I don't know if it's normal or not, but the fact is it's, it's a dark time. And then it's a dark time in our nation because of all of the COVID and all of the turmoil in the, in the nation. It, it seems like people are just looking for a little hope. But that's the way Isaiah was. And in the midst of their despair and their hopelessness, they got a word from God. Well, I've got some good news for you that that word from God that helped dispel their hopelessness is still applicable to you and me today as we celebrate this time of year. So I want us to talk about the hope that is in this passage. Let's begin first by looking at the desperate reach for hope. As you read earlier, I've already told you, Isaiah was saying things are looking bad and people are reaching out for hope. Even today, they're looking for hope. And it's amazing how they're looking in the wrong places. They think, well, technology is going to deliver us and give us hope. Or, or maybe in the medical field, the advances in the medical field gives us hope. After all, people are living longer today because of the result of medicines and we're looking for hope for a cure for this virus or a vaccine that will work or whatever. And then, then there's the crazy people who think their hope is in Washington, D.C. <laughs> LOL. <laughs> if you think your hope is there, you really are hopeless. And we've all felt the grip of hopelessness and despair. A lot of times we laugh at the, the Peanuts cartoon, Linus, who's got the security blanket. He's always carrying that blanket around and, and he just goes to pieces if he doesn't have his blanket. Well, we may laugh at him, but all of us have our blanket of some sort. We're looking for something to hold on to, something that will give us hope. I read this this morning and decided to share it with you. 20 years ago, we had Bob Hope, Johnny Cash, and Steve Jobs. Now we have no cash, no jobs, and no hope. I really hope Kevin Bacon doesn't die. <laughs> and I remember living in Tyler before I moved, we moved to, South, to, to Lubbock back in 1988. We would go from Tyler to Canton down to First Monday. First Monday wasn't nearly as big as it is now. I haven't been in years, so I don't, but I hear that it's just massive. It's a big flea market sale and all kinds of stuff. But on the way from Tyler to Canton on the highway was a sign pointing one direction that said Little Hope Baptist Church. And I thought, Lord, please don't ever let me pastor a Little Hope Baptist Church. Well, I didn't know it at the time, but there's a, there's a community called Little Hope. And if you're from Little Hope, I'm not making light of your community, but I think I would have named the church Big Hope in Little Hope or something. <laughs> Little Hope Baptist Church. There are a lot of people that have no hope. Well, you find people here that don't have any and several things that people are looking for when they're looking for hope. One of them is people need love. My goodness, they write songs about it. They're looking for love. Everybody's looking for love. They want somebody to love them. 
John 3, 16 says, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. People are looking. There are people who are wondering, does anybody love them today? If you're watching us online, you're watching on television, I want you to know God loves you and knows your name. But people today without hope wonder, does anybody care about me? The second thing is that people need light. It says in verse 2, the people who dwell, excuse me, the people who walk in darkness have seen a great light. Have you noticed that throughout the Bible that there's, a, there's an interaction with darkness and light all through it? And darkness represents sin and separation from God and unholiness and unrighteousness. And light represents the Lord God who is light and it represents righteousness and holiness. And you see it. And, and Jesus was born into a very dark world spiritually. God hung a star to show the people that he had been born in a world of darkness. Jesus later said, I am the light of the world. One little boy, poor little boy, heard in a Sunday school class that Jesus said, I am the light of the world, and he took it literally, and he came up to the teacher after the classroom and said, if Jesus is the light of the world, I wish he'd come hang out in my neighborhood because it's really dark where I live. Well, a lot of you may live in some dark places right now. You may be in a dark place in your life, but Jesus is the light of the world. I love Christmas pageants, especially when they're done by children. One little girl had a, one line in the Christmas pageant. I am the light of the world. She was going to step out and say, I am the light of the world. Speaking about Jesus, she practiced it and practiced it and practiced it. She even emphasized the different words, I am the light of the world, I am the light of the world, I am the light of the world, and she just had it down, worked for hours in front of the mirror. She was so excited, and sure enough, when the Christmas pageant came, she stepped out in front of the spotlight, and she saw the people, like I do every Sunday, looking at me like you look at me, and she froze. She couldn't remember her line. Her mother happened to be on the production part of it and was standing up on the stage behind the curtain and she whispered, I am the light of the world. She's the little girl still didn't say anything. She said a little louder, I am the light of the world. And one more time, I am the light of the world. And finally, her daughter heard it. She smiled and she beamed brightly and said, my mother is the light of the world. <laughs> well, Jesus is the light of the world and we need him. You've probably heard of this disorder called uh, seasonably affected depression. Sad. Seasonably affected depression, which means that some people get depressed at this time of year because the days are shorter and there's not as much sunlight. We're fortunate that we have a lot of sunlight here. One of the darkest towns on earth is not in the Arctic Circle, it's in Austria, Rattenburg, I guess is how you say it, it's in the, in the shadow of Mount Rat, which is a huge mountain, and from November to February, the sun never reaches the town. Now, there's some 
obviously ambient light that will come, but they don't ever see the sun for, from November to February. A lot of people have moved away. Some scientists uh, thought they had the solution. They said in 2005 that they, that they would cost $2.4 million to put 30 to 60 heliostatic uh, mirrors up there on top of Mount Rat to reflect the light of the sun in the city, but they have not done that yet. I don't guess they had the money to do it. But why, why would it be such an important thing to have sunlight hit a town? Because sunlight brings hope. You know as well as I do on these dark days, we haven't had a lot of them, but when, when it goes for a period of time and it's cloudy and gloomy looking and when the sun comes out, it just makes you feel better, doesn't it? It brings you hope. Well, we live in a world that is darkened by sin and death and Jesus is the light of the world. Why do you think we put so many lights up at Christmas time? And have you noticed they only look good in the dark? In the daytime, nothing looks good. I mean, you see all the extension cords and everything, but at night, man, it's beautiful. Well, in the dark world, Jesus is the light. He is beautiful. He is the light of the world. People not only need love and they need light, but they need life. It says the people who dwell in the land of the shadow of death. We're surrounded by death. Even before COVID came, and, and it seems like it's, it's made it much more so, we're still surrounded by death. Death is universal. The death rate is 100%. Every one of us are going to die. Now, Hebrews 9.27 says it's appointed unto man once to die. Why? Because of sin. Sin entered the world, death entered the world, and we're going to die. And we're surrounded by it. But Jesus said that he came to give us life and life more abundantly. You're not going to find it in a religious setting. I mean, in a religious group, you're going to find it in Jesus. Life is not in the church. It's not in a religion. It's not in a denomination. It's in Jesus. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So something happens between verse 1 and verse 6 because you see the gloom in verse 1 turning into rejoicing in verse 3. And you find the distress in verse 1 turning into joy in verse 3. And you find the oppression in verse 1 turning into a broken yoke in verse 3. And the darkness of verse 2 is going to turn into light. And the shadow of death would be overcome in verse 6. And all of these verbs are in perfect tense, in, indicating that this is certainty. In fact, the prophet wrote it like it had already happened. So what do we see here? We know that people are desperately reaching for hope, but now God breaks through in this darkness and gives us a divine revelation of hope. He tells us who's coming unto us. Unto us a child is born. Unto us is our benefit. It's given to you. It's given to you. Don't you like it when something's given to you? It's got your name on it? I hate that occupant male, don't you? <laughs> or current resident. David Wilson, our current resident. That's both of us. That's me and I'm, I'm both of that. that. <laughs> 
you know that it's going to be real personal if it says David Wilson and or, or your name and or current resident. Unto us, that's every one of us, something's been given. And is given means that it's a gift. It didn't say we earned it, deserved it. It's a gift. The child was born in Bethlehem and the gift of the eternal son is given to us. And I want you to understand that Jesus did not come into existence when he was born in Bethlehem. He already existed. One with the Father, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Son was not, you see, it says a child was born, but the Son was given. And, and if you think about it, this will blow your mind. This will give some of you something to think about the rest of the service. That when Jesus was born, he was already older than his mother. Because he's always existed. Have you thought about how important names are? Those of you who have children, you spent a long time thinking up their names. I mean, without your name, you can't have a birth certificate or a driver's license or a credit card. You can't buy a house. You can't get a job. You have to have a name. Everyone's got a name. And, and most people take very seriously their names. But you would be surprised at some of the names today. They're just made up. Don't have any meaning. And then there are people who I guess, I don't know if they didn't think about it, but, they, but what I'm a, these names I'm about to tell you really exist. I didn't make this up. They have pictures. These are real people. Bud Light. <laughs> McDonald Burger, B-E-R-G-E-R. Chris P. Bacon. <laughs> Sue you and she's a lawyer <laughs> dill d-y-l pickle filet mignon m-y-n-o-n jean pool alba tross cookie cutter now, do you know what an aptronym is? You probably haven't heard that term. It's a compound word. The adjective apt means aptitude, and nym is a Greek word for name. An atronym is when somebody's name and occupation line up perfectly, and, and what they're called describes what they do. Their name describes what they do, and sometimes that happens. These are true. I didn't make these up. Dr. Bowser, a veterinarian. Roy Grout, bricklayer. Dr. Wack, chiropractor. Dan Druff, barber. Dr. Pullen, dentist. Otto Nogo, mechanic. Dr. Smiley, orthodontist. Sonia Shears, hairdresser. Dr. Whitehead, dermatologist. <laughs> My favorite, Dr. Smelzy, podiatrist. <laughs> I, I, a robber broke into a home. He didn't think anybody was home. But sure enough, when he went into the bedroom, a man and his wife were laying in bed watching television. So he got spooked. He pulled out a gun and pointed it at the wife. And he said, what is your name? 
Uh, she's shaking like a leaf. Elizabeth. And he said, well, lucky for you, this is your lucky day because I can't shoot anybody named Elizabeth. That's my mother's name. So he turned the gun toward the man. He said, what's your name? And he said, well, my name is Harry, but everybody calls me Elizabeth. (laughs) (laughs) Names are important. Here we have a name, all grouped together, more names of the Messiah, of Jesus that's, about to be, that's going to be born than any other one place in the Bible. And every one of these is important. So what does Isaiah say about this child? Quickly, first he mentions he is our authority. He first, before he even names the name, says, and the government will be upon his shoulder. That means he's in charge. You think about it, he's really in charge of the universe, and that includes the government. But one day, Jesus will reign here on this earth. The millennial reign, we call it, a thousand years. And you know what? He will not need a legislative branch because he's the lawgiver. And he will not need a judicial branch because he is the judge. And he will not need an executive branch because he is the king. He is our authority. If the day comes when the government tells us there are things that we cannot do or we can't, or we're supposed to do that are contrary to God's word, that's the day that we will not do it. Why do you think communism and, and socialism and all that don't like Christians? Because Christians follow a higher authority. He is our authority. When one of the first questions asked about him by the Magi, where is he that is born king of the Jews? And even when he died and was crucified, the day that he was crucified, he was asked the same question, are you a king by Pilate? And of course he said to Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world, And they put over the cross, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. There will be a time in the future when Jesus will reign and rule. You just sang the song, Joy to the World. Now we sing it at Christmas. It's a great song. It's a Christmas song. But if you look at the lyrics of Joy to the World, it speaks about Jesus reigning here on this earth. That's going to be during the millennium. The day's coming when he will reign. And when Jesus returns, the Bible teaches he will set up an earthly kingdom. All governments will look to him. That's before the new heaven and the new earth, by the way. Another aspect of this child that's going to be born is he is amazing. Now, look at the word wonderful. A lot of times people couple that with counselor. But you'll notice in the scripture, there's a comma. He is wonderful. It's a a word that means to to separate or distinguish or to make great. The word wonderful is never used, at least this Hebrew word, it is never used in the scripture of what a man is or has done, but only of what God is and has done. So it's a word only for God. The idea is miraculous. It's used to denote the unusual, the remarkable qualities that distinguish this baby, this child, this Messiah. If you think about it, everything about Jesus was different. He was a man, fully man, fully God, but but think about his birth. Was his birth wonderful? Was it different? Yes. 
He had no earthly father. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit. He's born of a virgin, and that's important. If he wasn't, then he couldn't die for our sins because he wasn't born with a sinless nature. Even the way that his, uh, the announcements came, the angels shone and, and announced to the shepherds and then the star and that brought the magi. All of that's wonderful. It's different, isn't it? The fact that Jesus gave his life and came to us is wonderful. The fact that he died on the cross and God put our sin and he died in our place willingly is wonderful. The fact that he rose again and the only one that has risen again is wonderful. And sometimes we sing that old hymn that says, what a wonderful change in my life has been wrought since Jesus came into my life. Only, God, only he can do that. There's no one like Jesus. He's not a prophet. He's God. There's no one like him. He's also approachable. Counselor. A counselor is somebody who advises or gives you, uh, gives you advice or maybe you share your problems with. Jesus is that kind of counselor. You can share your problems with him. You can cast your cares upon him because he cares for you. Psalm 73, 24, he shall guide me by his counsel and lead me into glory. The 16, 7, Psalm 16, 7, I will bless the Lord, excuse me, who has given me counsel. But counselor also carries the idea of someone who can mediate between you and another party. Sometimes you call an attorney or the judge will call an attorney counselor. The mediator, the one who is between you and another party, that is what Jesus has done and is. He's our advocate who's, on, who's available for us to relate. And for, since he was fully God and fully man, he's the only one that can reach into the hand of heaven and take God's hand and the only one that can reach down to earth and take man's hand and bring them together. Amen. He's the mediator, the one and only Mediator, First Timothy two five. There is not. There is one. There is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. So, if you're going to have peace with God, you're going to come through Jesus, or you're not going to have it. Because Jesus said, "I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me." He's approachable. He wants you to come. He's also almighty. Mighty God. In the Bible, several times in the Old Testament, God is referred to as El Shaddai, God Almighty. The Bible says that's who Jesus is. Now, for those of you who think Jesus is a created being or Jesus isn't God, you're going to have to mark that out in Isaiah. Because it says he is mighty God. He is God. In him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, Colossians 1 says. Let me go back to the Christmas pageant by children. Sunday school teacher told her children, I want you to come up with a Christmas pageant and you can write, the, you can write it all. And so they did. One little girl said, I'll be Mary. Another little boy said, I'll be Joseph. Two or three little boys said, we'll be shepherds. Several, several of them wanted to be the wise men. There was one little boy on the side, though, 
who didn't have a part and his teacher said, Billy, what are you going to be? And he thought about it and said, well, I think I'll be the doctor who delivers the baby Jesus. <laughs> and so the teacher said, well, you go right ahead. And she's going to let them do it the way they want to. So he got all dressed up. They got in their costumes. A little girl came in with a pillow under her shirt as she, she was with child. And they had some bales of hay for the stable. And at just the moment that Jesus was to be born, the kids went behind the bales of hay. And in a few moments, the doctor came out with holding a baby doll. And he wasn't sure what to say. So he walked up to Mary and Joseph and said, Congratulations. It's a God. <laughs> but you know, that's accurate. That's very accurate. He is God. He's the God-man. Isaiah also said he is affectionate, everlasting father. Everlasting. Actually, it's written in such a way he's the father of eternity. But it talks about, the word father talks about a relationship with man. He's not some distant, far off God who doesn't want to have anything to do with us. He relates to us as a father. Now Isaiah had seen several kings come and go. He'd lived long enough that some kings had come to reign and died and there was no one that had lasting uh, rule. But here we see the eternal aspect of the Messiah. Father is a unique quality of kinship. Earthly kings, or earthly kings see their subjects, people as subjects. Our God and King sees us as children. We're the only group on earth, Christians, that's what I'm talking about, not just in here. Christians are the only group in all of the religious world. And our Bible is the only place in all of the religious literature that says that we can relate to God like a child relates to their father. Amen. Now, I was fortunate, am fortunate enough to have a dad a good dad, a good dad who taught me about God the Father. I have a great frame of reference, but I also know that some of you don't. Some of you may not even had a dad. What I mean by is that they were gone or they died when you were little or they left you or deserted you. And then some of you may have had a dad that for, for lack of a better Greek word was just a jerk. And so you may not have a frame of reference that goes, you know, when I think about God as a father, I don't have a good place to go here. But I want you to picture in your mind the perfect father and multiply that a million times. You begin to get an idea of how God is as a father. We can relate to him. In fact, did you know he's written to us? Somebody put it down in an, in an article uh, called My Child. It's written in the form of a letter from God to us. I pulled out a few excerpts from it, not the whole thing, but I want you to picture God writing to you and he says, for I am the perfect father, Matthew 5, 48. Every good gift you receive comes from my hand, James 1, 17. My plan for your future has always been filled with hope, 
Jeremiah 29, 11, because I love you with an everlasting love, Jeremiah 31, 3, for you are my treasured possession, Exodus 19, 5, and I want to show you great and marvelous things, Jeremiah 33, 3. I'm also the Father who comforts you in all your troubles, 2 Corinthians 1, 3. When you are brokenhearted, I am close to you, Psalm 34, 18. One day I'll wipe every tear from your eye, Revelation 21, 3. Come home and I'll throw the biggest party heaven has ever seen, Luke 15, 7. I've always been father and I'll always be father, Ephesians 3, 14. My question is, will you be my child, John 1, 12. I am waiting for you, Luke 15, 11 through 32. Love your everlasting father. Galatians 4, verse 4 says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of his Son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father, Daddy. That's a relationship. My girls call me daddy. I'm their father, but to them I'm their daddy. That's a relational term. That's what he says, because you, he is going to be everlasting father. He concludes by saying he's assuring he will be called the prince of peace. What does that mean? The Prince of Peace. And when the angels appeared to the shepherds and said, peace on earth, goodwill toward men, what does that mean? Are we all going to live in peace? Not hardly. Jesus said in Matthew 24, 6, there'll be wars and rumors of wars. So what kind of peace is he talking about? Two kinds. Peace with God. Romans 5, 1 says that we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus. And the peace of God in Philippians 4, 7 tells us that the peace of God shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Peace is not the absence of conflict, it's the presence of God. You have peace with God and you had the peace of God. And God is saying to you, I want to have peace with you. I want to be at peace with you. I want you in my family. I love you. That's what Christmas is all about. And when you're surrounded by all of the circumstances that are dragging you down, you need to remember whose child you are, a child of God. You see the reach for hope here and then God's revelation to us. But then I also want you to see that there's a definite reign of hope coming. It says, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. The angel Gabriel told Mary this in Luke chapter 1, verse 31. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great would be called the son of the highest and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end. He will rule completely, universally, unparalleled. He will rule eternally. There will be no end. 
He'll be on David's throne. That looks to the millennial kingdom, to the millennial reign of Jesus, and he will rule powerfully. We're on the winning side. You won't be able to vote him in or vote him out. In heaven, there's no confusion about what Christmas is all about. And folks, did you know that every time somebody comes to know Christ, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of Jesus expands. It's still growing. So every time someone comes to know Christ, it's, it's growing. And you know what? You can come to know Christ today. I'm telling you, if you don't know Jesus personally, if you don't have him as your savior, read my lips. You have no hope. Because our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and his righteousness. All, everything else is sinking sand. If you don't know Jesus, you don't have any hope. And those of us who know Jesus, we need to be reminded of the hope that we have in him. Would you bow your heads with me in prayer? If you are watching this online, you can pray and receive Christ right now. If you're within the sound of my voice in this room, you can receive this hope now. You ask God to forgive you because you know you're separated from him and you place your faith and trust in him. Heavenly Father, today we ask that you would bring people to you, those who are hopeless today, some, Lord, are wondering if they even want to stay alive any longer. They have no hope. Would you let them know right now that you love them dearly, that you gave your life, that they might have life. I pray that they would know that, that they, they could just ask you, commit their life, ask you to forgive them, believe in their heart that Jesus is the Messiah, that he died on the cross for our sin, that he rose again the third day. He's truly wonderful. And I pray that you'd bring people to you. For those of us who have been born again a long time, thank you for reminding us, Lord, that we're never without hope. Regardless of how bleak it may look in our nation and the circumstances, we're never without hope. I pray for those that need a church. If this is the place you're bringing them, God, I pray you'll bring them here. I pray for those that need to be obedient and be baptized like this one this morning. So Lord, right now we come to you, reaching out to you. You are our only hope. If you're watching online, if you'll hit that connect button or that I need prayer button, somebody will help you right now know how to receive Christ or pray with you about anything else on your heart. And if you're in this room, that little card that's in the chair pocket in front of you says my decision today. If you'll indicate that decision and drop it in the box as you leave, 
we will call you and talk to you or after we're dismissed, there'll be some of us here at the front with our mask on that would be more than happy to visit with you and pray with you about a decision on your heart today. And so Lord, today we thank you for reminding us of the hope that we have in Jesus. We pray that people have responded to you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you would like more information, to make a commitment, or to request prayer, please text the word podcast to 555-888. You can also connect with us on our Southcrest app or our website for complete worship services or to plan to visit us in person. Thanks again for listening.